0: Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernization Podcast. Hey, welcome back to Beta and Beyond. This is your host, Michael Howard. Today, we are joined by Anjali Ananthi partner at the law firm Hudson-Gavin Martin. Anjali has specialized in legal matters and advice in technology, media, and intellectual property. Anjali, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here.
0: So to set the scene of today's conversation, could you give us a summary of the business environment we're operating in through a legal lens?
1: Sure, so more than ever, I think businesses need to provide customers with a curated experience to keep their customers engaged with their brand. Um, To do this uh, and to provide that experience, a business really needs to understand their customer and their buying behavior, and that requires data. So with the change that's happening in the regulatory landscape relating to data and privacy um, over the last year, so with the introduction of the Privacy Act 2020, and also with the changes that are in the pipeline relating to the consumer data right, I think businesses really need to be mindful of their obligations. Um, Not only is that important from a legal compliance perspective, but also from the perspective of gaining and retaining the trust of their customers.
0: Mm -hmm. it's a great point in terms of providing those curated experiences through uh, truly understanding customers and their buying behaviors Um, and as you quite rightly stated as well data is a key enabler of this But in order to do so, organisations need to connect up the various silos across their business, expose this data into other systems and people, um, etc., who can translate this data into meaningful experiences. Um, But unless there's good governance in place, organisations can themselves be exposed from a legal perspective. Um, Which brings us to something you mentioned in your summary about the newly established Privacy Act. Can you give us a quick rundown of what this is?
1: Sure, so the Privacy Act 2020 came into uh, force in December of last year. Now, it, it replaced the previous Privacy Act that we had, so an act that was in place, uh, in place put in place in 1993, so some time ago. Mm. The Privacy Act actually governs the collection, the use, disclosure, storage, and retention of personal information of New Zealanders by any agency. Now, when we're talking about agencies in this context, what we're talking about uh, is any business that collects personal information. And and personal information means any information about an identifiable individual. Now, the key thing to note about our Privacy Act is that it's technology agnostic. Mm. So that means that every business that collects personal information, whether that's from its customers, its staff or or anyone else, and whether it does that by means of a pen and paper or via emerging technology like AI, will actually be subject to the Privacy Act. Now, the new act that came into effect in 2020 brought in a number of changes to our privacy legislation. And one of those key changes relates to notifiable privacy breaches. So if an agency um, suffers a privacy breach, so a data security incident that results in, let's say the loss or uh, disclosure, uh, unauthorized disclosure of personal information, and it believes that that has caused or is likely to cause serious harm to the individuals concerned then it will need to notify the office of the privacy commissioner and also the affected individuals as soon as possible now Another key change that businesses need to be aware of are the new cross-border disclosure requirements that the new Act has brought in. So where you are looking to disclose personal information to third parties overseas, so that could be, for example, a SAS provider that you're using that's located overseas, you will need to ensure that that information is subject to comparable safeguards as under the Privacy Act, where that third party is using that information for their own purposes. OK, mm. um, now the Act also brought in uh, a few other things. So so it brought in new powers for the Privacy Commissioner. So the Commissioner now has the ability to issue com- what's called compliance notices. So that, that means that it, the Privacy Commissioner can actually order agencies to do or to stop doing something in order to comply with the Act. Um, and an interesting one is that the new Act clarified uh, the extraterritorial effect of our privacy legislation. So there's always, you know, businesses uh, who come to us for advice overseas are always wondering if uh, the legislation applies to them because they're not based in New Zealand. Mm. But the Act has actually clarified that actually, if you're an overseas business and you're carrying on business in New Zealand, then you are now subject to the Act. So i think all of those are interesting and um the act has also brought in new criminal offenses that didn't used to uh be uh, around under the 1993 legislation so if you if you mislead a business in order to access someone's information that is now a criminal offence as is if you destroy someone's personal information knowing that they've made a request to access it so a a lot of new things in there that are really important for businesses to understand
0: Uh, what are businesses obligations under the new privacy act then
1: so The Privacy Act um, is a principles-based act, Michael. So it contains a number of information privacy principles or IPPs um, that agencies and businesses must comply with. And broadly, um, unless a specified exception applies, businesses must only collect personal information about an individual directly from that individual. Uh, They must take reasonable steps to ensure that individuals know that their information is being collected and why. Um, only use personal information for a lawful purpose and only for the purpose for which it was collected Mm. um, and also delete the information once it is no longer required for that purpose. Now, the new Act largely um, has the same information privacy principles in it, but it did add a new principle, which I mentioned briefly um, before, which is that The new IPP 12 now requires agencies to ensure that there are comparable safeguards uh, for the protection of personal information where they disclose that personal information overseas. Okay, so that's a new principle that's come into place. The new Act has also made some clarifications to the existing privacy principles. So for example, under um, IPP 1 now, um, it clarifies that, if you're a business and the purpose for which you are collecting personal information doesn't actually require the collection of what's called an individual's identifying information. So this is things like their email, their name, their phone number. Then you may not require that individual to provide you with that information. Now, what that means is businesses now really need to turn their minds to whether they actually need the identifying information that they usually collect to provide their goods and services. Because if they don't need it um, for the purpose of providing their goods and services or for the purpose for which they are collecting that information, then they should not be collecting it.
0: Mm. It's going to be an interesting... um... Dilemma or challenge for anyone with a CRM system, isn't it? Which is everyone. <laughs> um, so you've got the contact information in there. Like, what do you do with that long term? If you've got historic um, contacts in there who were um, added in before the Privacy Act, um, is what what happens in that situation?
1: So I think with with historic information that you're in there, you've got to remember that there are other privacy principles that apply to information Mm. that you hold. So as I mentioned, you're only uh, meant to hold information for as long as it's required for the purpose for which you collected it. OK, yeah, sure. so you shouldn't actually hold information for any longer. So once you've completed the purpose for which you hold that information, you need to actually get rid of it. And so if you've got databases full of, um, uh, you know, uh, personal information and the purpose for which you collected it no longer applies, then you shouldn't actually strictly be holding that information.
0: Mm. No, true. And there's also other um, other things like cost of holding the, um, that as well. So it's not just yeah. a legal perspective. Um, so Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, what are the consequences for businesses who don't comply with this Act then?
1: So there are, of course, the legal consequences. Um, mm. But I think more likely uh, or likely to be more damaging is the mm. loss of trust that you would have in your brand or your products or your services or your business. Um, I think for an organization, Uh, a breach of privacy or a security incident that results in, uh, you know, the loss of personal information can be really costly in a number of ways, right? So you could have um, all of the you know, IT services, uh, the legal uh, requirement, uh, legal services that you need, and also the public relations that you need in, in order to be deal to deal with that um, privacy incident. But I think the greatest cost actually lies in that reputational damage um, that can be caused, or the loss of the trust uh, that your customers have in you, and and ultimately that can actually result in you. Um, you know, losing market share or business share uh, uh, in the market, which can be, uh, you know, something that's really uh, serious. So, Mm -hmm. these are things that I think businesses need to really turn their minds to. Now, in terms of the legal consequences, um, I've mentioned that the privacy commissioner does have the ability to issue compliance notices. So, so you will be required to comply. And if you don't, uh, there are uh, sanctions or fines that the Privacy Commissioner can now impose—they're not, by world standards, um, uh, large—but that there are fines. So, so up to ten thousand um, dollars can be imposed for non-compliance. Um, and as I said, there are now new criminal offences, uh, which again are punishable um, by fines of up to ten thousand dollars. Now. Um, where a complaint is made, the privacy commissioner can also refer the complaint onto the Human Rights Review Tribunal, and the Review Tribunal has a number of remedies that it can um, award, uh, including damages. So in terms of damages, um, the less serious end of the spectrum will range from maybe five to $10,000. Uh, the more serious cases can range from 10 up to up to $50,000. And the most serious cases will range from $50,000 upwards, um, up to a maximum of, of $350,000. Now, what we've got to note about that $350,000 cap, though, is that it's a it can be awarded per individual, per breach. So if you've got a number of individuals affected by one privacy breach, then that could be quite a significant sum of money. Mm-hmm. Um, to date, though, the most that the Review Tribunal has awarded for a privacy matter is just uh, over $168,000. In total, rather than per person? Yeah,
0: correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we've, we've, people tend to focus on the negatives um, when it comes to law, but what are the benefits to businesses for getting their um, data and customer privacy right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the obvious benefit, I think, is that you do remain compliant with the law and Mm -hmm. you avoid those sanctions and the financial penalties that we've just talked about. But equally, and I think something that businesses really need to focus on is that where you get privacy and data protection right, it can really enhance customer trust, which is invaluable, right? Mm -hmm. And what that means is that it fosters a really positive brand image in the market, Okay, so trust customers who trust you and trust your organization with their uh, with their information are likely to share that information with you and continue to share it and ensure that it's accurate and complete and relevant Um, and and what that gives you as a business is, uh, you know, a, a real advantage, a competitive advantage in the market. Um, If customers don't trust your organisation, then it is very likely that they will pull back from providing that data to you. They might stop altogether, Mm -hmm. or that more likely, they're likely to provide really limited information or incomplete information just enough to get them the product or service they need, but they're unlikely to engage with you in a way that will really kind of enable you to take leaps and bounds in terms of competitive advantage.
0: So something that pivots um, a little uh, from the Privacy Act uh, quite nicely are CDRs or consumer data rights, which the government recently announced will be coming into force hopefully sometime in 2022. Um, What will CDR mean for the consumer? So,
1: a consumer data right um, is a right that provides individuals and potentially also businesses um, with a statutory ability or legal right to require data holders, so anyone who holds any service provider that holds uh, data about them, to share that data with trusted third parties now in New Zealand we're also looking to provide consumers um, a- and businesses with the ability to require data holders to carry out some form of action on uh, on that relevant uh, person's behalf or consumer's behalf so uh, that's called action initiation now that would allow third parties to for example create new data or initiate an action based on data received from an individual, if that consumer for, uh, consents to that, for example. Mm. So, um, so, for example, um, I might consent to an, uh, a service, a bank moving my money between accounts or making a payment on my behalf, but that would require me to have consented to that to, or to have authorised that um, action to take place. Mm. Now. This consumer data, right? What it means for consumers is that they will have more control about how their data uh, that is held about them is used by service providers um, and also more say in who gets to use that data. Ultimately, I think it will provide more autonomy for consumers in terms of um, their purchasing decisions.
0: Okay, are there any limitations to the consumer um, data rights you know, where, say, an organisation may withhold some information for certain reasons?
1: The consumer data right is still to be uh, legislated, and so we're not quite sure what it will look like. But I would expect that um, any consumer data right is likely to be trumped by other lawful obligations. So for example, where an organisation holds data and a consumer requests that data, but that would be contrary to other legal obligations or would result in a breach of law, um, then I would expect that that would trump the organisation's requirement to hand over that data. But again, it's not legislated yet, so we will need to wait to see how it comes out. Um, I would expect the Privacy Act would inform that. So the Privacy Act, for example, allows individuals or agencies to use personal information outside of uh, the principles in the Privacy Act where they are required to do so under law or other law. So the Privacy Act is actually trumped by other laws.
0: Are there any overseas precedents worth noting that could help inform consumer data rights legislation?
1: Yes. So as I mentioned, um, our legislation has not yet been drafted so at this early stage it's hard to tell what it will actually look like but the ministry of business innovation and employment has actually indicated that its preferred approach is to establish a right that allows all consumers including individuals and other businesses such uh, other entities such as businesses to share their data for that consumer data to be combined with data about products and also to include uh, what we've talked about which is action initiation now australia as our closest trading partner is likely to inform how we implement our consumer data right australia actually established uh, or legislated their consumer data right in 2019 um, but MB has noted that there are limitations uh, in the Australian consumer data right that uh, we would want to address in New Zealand for example uh, in Australia uh, the consumer data right in the banking sector does not uh, actually contain a right to authorize other people or businesses to make payments on your behalf for example Um, and MB has indicated that we may look to do that differently in New Zealand and actually include these action initiations in our CDR in the banking sector. Um, I think we'll also look really closely at uh, the general data protection regulation in the EU, or the GDPR, Mm. and the data portability right contained in that. I think why that's uh, important is that, it will bring New Zealand into line with our trading partners, like the EU, and that will be incredibly helpful uh, in terms of um, maintaining, uh, at least with the EU, the adequacy status that we currently hold with them.
0: When an organisation is looking to implement technology projects that are essential for producing leading customer experiences, like we talked about earlier, projects that unite public and private data stores, Etc., what legal considerations should be considered at the beginning to enable the organisation to be more flexible in meeting its future compliance obligations?
1: So, I think um, as a business, when you're looking to implement new technology, or, uh, including emerging technology, then you, you, could, you look to do that in, in a number of ways. You may look to develop that technology yourself. Uh, you may look to procure that technology um, from a third party, like a SAS vendor, for example, uh, and you may look to outsource the implementation of that technology. So um, the data migration, you may look to uh, get help with that from a third party um, to migrate your data from your existing systems to your new one. Now in that situation, um, whether you are developing the technology yourself, or whether you are looking to use third party products and services, there are a number of things you need to think about uh, in terms of data. Uh, First, I think you need to undertake a due diligence exercise to assess exactly the nature of the data that will be involved in the project. Is it personal data? Is it commercially sensitive data? Is it confidential information? Once you understand that, that allows you to understand your legal obligations that you have in relation to that data. Um, once you've done that due diligence exercise, you can then assess w- what your requirements are for that technology, whether it's being developed in house or whether you are outsourcing the development of that build. So. Um, for example, if you're going to be using uh, a new SaaS platform where you're migrating from your existing uh, systems to that platform, it's likely that the platform vendor will have access to the data that's stored in the platform. Now, if the vendor is based outside of New Zealand and is solely processing and handling that data as your agents on your behalf and not doing it anything for its own purposes with that data, then you won't actually need to comply with those overseas disclosure requirements under the Privacy Act that we talked about earlier. But if the vendor that you're using overseas does use the data for their own purposes, for example, they may say we have a right to use your data to improve our platform then that is likely to be a disclosure under the Privacy Act, and you will need to ensure that you comply with your obligations to make sure that the data, when it is in that vendor's hands, is subject to a comparable level of protection um, as it would be if it was in New Zealand under the Privacy Act. Now, we've also talked about the consumer data rights. So if the technology uh, that um, will hold consumer data, then you need to think about, does it have the functionality to allow you to comply with any consumer request in relation to their data? Um, Does it allow you to comply with your privacy Act obligations? So, for example, um, IPP5 requires that organisations holding personal information must have reasonable safeguards in place to prevent loss or misuse of information. So there are a number of things that you need to think about when you are implementing new technology. And, and there is, unfortunately, no one-size-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to consider the nature of the information you hold, the valuable value of that information, the sensitivity and confidentiality of that information, what harm it could cause if there is a security breach or a data uh, incident, um, and what kind of security measures might be appropriate. Once you understand that, then that will then guide the requirements that you have in place for that development of that new technology.
0: Mm. Are there any um, standards um, that the legal profession, for instance, would like recommend organisations follow in terms of their security um, compliance, et cetera?
1: So in terms of um, security compliance, uh, there are obviously the ISO standards um, Mm. that uh, technology companies or companies do comply with. Um, I think a really good understanding of your obligations in respect of data is incredibly helpful. So we often talk to our uh, clients about privacy by design or data security by design. And that is very much about understanding the data you hold understanding your legal obligations in relation to that data Mm. and then building your technology and designing your technology from day one in order to allow you to be compliant
0: okay so lastly i'm interested to understand one of the future customer or technology challenges or dilemmas that you've been wrestling with and think may have big implications for organizations but don't necessarily have the answer for yet Um, and what you think the roadmap might look for resolving a challenge like that?
1: I guess one of the biggest developments we've seen in this area is um, very much that the individual's uh, consumers are becoming savvier and learning that their data has value and that they can leverage that. So we're seeing more and more consumers looking to receive more than just the product or service that they pay for, because they understand that there is value in the data that they provide to a business or a service provider. Um, So we are seeing the balance of power tip and we are seeing competitors take advantage of this. So if you think about two service providers in the market that are providing the same services, would you as a consumer choose the one that also recognized and rewarded you for providing them with your data for example by giving you additional or free services so it, it really it comes down to i think differentiating your business from others in the market and data is only as valuable um, as uh, to the extent that it is current and accurate mm. so Businesses really need to start thinking about how do they ensure their customers are incentivized to, um, you know, to to be loyal and to continue to provide that up-to-date, current, rich data. Um, and, and perhaps one of the ways to do that is to recognise and reward customers for sharing their data.
0: Very interesting. Well, that brings us to um, a wrap. So thanks very much for being on the show today, Angeline.
1: Thank you. It's
0: been great. And thank you to everyone else who's joined us today, whether for the first time or as a regular. If you've liked what you've heard today and know someone who might also be interested, feel free to share this podcast with them. So thanks everyone and we'll see you back here for the next episode.